On the show today, I have Dave Ray. He's a financial advisor. He's a member of one of the technical working groups at the Australian Sustainable Finance Initiative. And he's been a longtime listener and a friend of the Good Future podcast. Right from the outset, Dave was sending me feedback and asking me questions. He's been a sounding board for ideas and for who to have on the show. But on the flip side, it's been great to watch Dave build his financial planning business and he's helped me understand how his clients feel about sustainable investing and and the key concerns that people come to him with. I think it's useful to get insights from outside the impact bubble every now and then. And that's what we're all about here on the Good Future Podcast. I'm your host, John Treadgold, and I'm asking the big questions about the business of sustainability, the new economy, and how your spending and investment decisions can have an impact. Now, Dave wasn't always an advocate for investing in line with your values. He talks us through his journey to focusing on the impact his money is having and how he sees the sector evolving. He also tells us about the changes that the Royal Commission is bringing to the world of financial advice with both the pros and cons for the end consumer. Anyway, let's get into it. All the notes are on my website at johntreadgold.com. Plus, you can follow along on Facebook and Instagram. But for now, let's dive into my chat with Dave Ray. Here we go. Dave, well, look, it's about time we had a financial advisor in here to uh, to give us the ear on the street on how people are feeling about sustainable investing and just in- investing generally. We're in a, a post-Royal Commission era now, and uh, I think that's changed a lot of things, you know, arguably for the better, and uh, keen to dive in and, and hear your views and, and hear about your background. And uh, you've come up to Sydney from Canberra. We're here in Hub Australia near Hyde Park. Um, what brings you to Sydney? Thanks, John. It's good to be on the podcast. I'm up here for a meeting of the Australian Sustainable Finance Initiative. I'm a member of one of the working groups uh, that's putting together a roadmap uh, for sustainable finance uh, in Australia. So uh, we're here, we're a couple of years behind Canada, uh, the EU and the UK in putting together this type of roadmap. But it's great to be part of that organisation and uh, an initiative uh, to help develop a a more inclusive uh, and resilient economy. Good stuff. Yeah, we had Simon O'Connor on the show a few months ago when it was launched and, and now it sounds like the rubber's hitting the road and you guys are actually sitting around and, and doing some, some work. So that's good stuff. And to wind that back to what sort of, I guess, everyday people um, are feeling about these issues, how would you feel that is the, I guess, the closest kind of connection between the kind of stuff you're working on and what people would come to you day to day to want to talk about in terms of, you know, the way they want to invest in line with their values? I think at the moment we've got a big disconnect between people's values and the investing that they're doing. So if you look at some of the statistics that are around or the research that's already been done, People are interested in spending their money and investing their money in a way that aligns with their values. Now, RIA, Responsible Investment Association, has done some consumer research saying nine in 10 people expect that their super or investments would be invested in in an ethical or responsible way. But when you actually look at how much money is invested uh, in a responsible way, uh, it's far less than that. In fact, in negative screen or positive screen or sustainable or impact investments, it's only about 13% of professionally managed 
assets in Australia. So I think that disconnect comes from a lack of knowledge, a lack of awareness of, of what's around, uh, and a lack of understanding of the, of the process to make sure that they know how to find uh, a product or an investment that aligns with their values. And how do you find that with people day to day coming to you? I mean, you probably promote yourself as having that perspective, so that might sort of skew the factor. But do most people come in and, and they talk about that as being an issue they want to deal with or get the other way around? I shouldn't assume that. Uh, no, probably the opposite, actually. I've, um, some clients will come in and say, you know, I've got a particular interest in sustainable investing or there's some particular industries uh, that they don't want to have their money in, you know, fossil fuels, gambling, tobacco tend to be the main ones. But in the main, I would say it's an underlying or unasked interest or preference that people have. They don't know what they don't know. So it's predominantly, it's a discussion that I have with them. I'll raise some particular questions or talk about some um, particular investment uh, ideas or themes and and uncover um, whether they've got an interest in it or not. And how does that affect the universe that you'll invest people's money into? If I go back to probably five years ago, plus before I started doing any sustainable or responsible investing for clients, my approach was more of an index approach. So it was hold everything. You know, you hold the whole market, uh, which is you know, quite different to choosing to be more responsible with your investments. So when we did that, it was uh, buy the index, buy everything. Now it's a, about understanding what those preferences are, understanding uh, which particular issues are important to clients. So talking about uh, environmental issues, governance issues uh, and society as well, social issues, and looking at the ones that are important to clients either to uh, include or exclude from a portfolio. And there's no perfect answer in terms of then trying to apply that to, a, to an investment portfolio. There's going to be trade-offs sometimes. If we put a list of you know, 30 or 40 issues in front of a client, you're not necessarily always going to match that 100% with particular investments that, that you put them into. But I see that as a, as a starting point, um, understanding which ones are most important to them, coming up with something that uh, closely uh, matches that as much as we can. And I also see it as a starting point too. You know, We're going through a huge growth in in responsible investing. You know, the last few years, the amount of money that's flowing into sustainable uh, impact investment is really growing. We're starting to see fund managers come to the market with with more products as well. So I think we'll start to see more ways that we can match those uh, investor preferences with the investment funds that they want to be going into. Yeah, a common issue that's come up is the myth of trade-offs, this idea that people think that if you're going to invest sustainably, you're going to have lower returns. How do you uh, respond to people if they bring that up? You're 100% correct. It's it's the biggest myth when it comes to res- responsible investing. And it's a, I think it's an easy way, particularly for advisors who don't want to have this conversation with clients, it's an easy way to shut down the conversation and say, well, you know, it's fine to have those preferences, but if you want to invest that way, we can do it but you're going to get a a lesser return. Increasingly, there's research showing that you don't give up return and, in fact, it can have a positive effect on returns. So each year, the Responsible Investment Association does their benchmark uh, report. Uh, One of the parts of their benchmark report is looking at uh, Australian International Share Fund 
returns of the universe that they cover for responsible investments and measuring that against the benchmark. Their most recent report for, for 2018 uh, showed that over most time periods, responsible investments were actually doing better than the, the index. There's plenty of research uh, out there. Another report that was done by collaboration by Oxford University and Arabesque Partners a few years ago looked at 200 pieces of research uh, and found that in 80% of the, the cases, returns were positively influenced by responsible investing. So I think that that myth that certainly has been around for some time is well and truly you know, out the door. Yeah, and what are the timescales like going back? Is that sort of more than 10 years back? I can't recall if it's five years or 10 years going back now, certainly going back one, three and five years. Not sure on 10 years uh, and the, the Oxford Uni one was, was a mixture. Yeah, it's 200 pieces of research, so there was quite a bit. And getting a bit more personal, you know, how did you find yourself sort of in this field and you know, maybe what was your first investment what sort of got you into the, the game? To get to the advice space, it was uh, accounting was my background. I've always sort of been interested in numbers, but got bored of, of accounting and uh, spreadsheets and those kind of things. And felt that I wanted to do something that was helping people. So back in the early 2000s, financial advice was a, a space where I felt like I could use the, you know, the financial skills that I had, but also do something that was you know, helping people achieve their financial goals and dreams as well. From an investment point of view, I've probably called myself up until the last four odd years more of a, a traditional investor. I was focused purely on you know financial returns and getting the best return that I could. The uh, first investment that I ever uh, made was actually in a poker machine manufacturer back in the mid-90s. Funnily enough that uh, today I, I wouldn't hold any uh, gambling stocks. I don't hold any in my portfolio. But my grandfather was, uh, was a long-time share investor and um, it just happened that there was a float uh, happening uh, around that time and he suggested I have a look at it and I did and there wasn't much money that I put into it but it was probably one of the best investments I've ever made in terms of uh, percentage returns but I suppose you've only got to look at uh, you know how many poker machines we have in Australia per capita to realise that uh, you know, that's why it was a good investment but uh, over the years my approach to investing has, has evolved and, and changed and uh, you know that's one of uh, a few things now that I, I personally wouldn't invest my my money into, but it was uh, yeah a, a good story to have anyway about a, the, the start of uh, my investing journey. Yeah, it's so interesting, you know, thinking about that journey. I mean, I think financial advice is a, a really unique role because it's got this, obviously, you know, you've got a, a depth of knowledge about finance and, and accounting, which is at its core sort of, you know, very numbers-based and, and in some ways not very personal. But then suddenly you have someone in front of you and they're trusting you with their dreams and their retirement and their future, really, which is a pretty big responsibility. So do you think, I mean, uh, you know, I've gotten to know you and I think you're a very personal person and, and you're good at that. What are the skills then, I guess, in that role that you think really make a good financial advisor to, to be able to combine those two skills? One of the biggest ones to me is, is empathy. As much as you can, you know, trying to put yourself in the shoes of your clients. Because if you are looking, as we have to, at, at what is in their best interests, 
trying to get that connection to how they they feel about what's going on in their life is really important. And you are talking about big things. You know, you're there with clients as they're buying a home or as they're you know as they're going into retirement and getting out of the the business or the job that they've worked in for 30, 40 years. You're there when a spouse you know passes away. You know, helping them through that process or in some cases, kids you know, getting cancer and all of those kind of things. So, you know, the situations where you, you've got clients in your office and they're crying in front of you and uncovering um, sometimes things that they haven't, you know, spoken to each other about because, you you know, you do need to go deep and uncover aspects of their life which, you know, their finances are, you know, deeply intertwined with. So to me, that's that's probably one of the, the, the biggest skills. And also that personal connection becomes important when you're talking around responsible investing as well because you know my previous investment approach of of using indexing or or passive was to some degree quite hands-off and it didn't involve a a conversation around uh, values although there was you know personal goals objectives and values to a degree values around how people think about things from a an environmental or a, a social aspect are quite different to conversations that I'd already been having for, for 12 or 13 years. And it touches on, you know, political things as well. So there's a sensitivity to that because, you know, climate change, for example, is a, a hot button issue, which depending on which, you know, political side of the fence you're on can really press some buttons in people. So, you know, you've got to be able to, neg- to navigate that conversation in a way that, uncovers their preferences but I guess doesn't get them you know off offside as well. Yeah and I think the Royal Commission has uncovered uh, a whole lot of you know bad behaviour and, and, and I think financial services in general has, has lost a lot of trust from a lot of the public and I can imagine that financial advisors would be really right at the, the coalface of that. Um, how have you seen things change or people react to that? The profession's going through enormous change, so it's coming from different angles. So there's the Royal Commission, we've got uh, increased education standards. Those things are going to change the face of advice in Australia, certainly I think for the better, but it's going to have effects on you know the structure of, of the way things are set up. So older advisors who came in at a different time when education standards were different, um, many are already starting to move out. Old practices, grandfathered commissions, you know, to use a bit of jargon, and some things that, you know, newer advisors have moved away from, I think will, you know, change things for, for the better. I can see an argument for a, a you know, a just transition in, in moving down that path so that um, people aren't being um, put in p- positions where their own financial circumstances are, are dire. It has been publicised that there's been you know, uh, high teens uh, in, in terms of number of, of suicides amongst financial advisors in Australia around some of these pressures. So I think it's important that the way that the, the changes are made are done, that uh, we get to a place where um, we can repair you know, the damage that's been done, the trust that's been lost. Advisors play a, a, a crucial role in helping people uh, down the financial path that they're taking through their lives, helping to simplify the, the complexities around, you know, superannuation, investments, insurance, all of those kind of things. But we need to make sure that you know, people have access to it uh, as well. And that's, you know, one of the other 
uh, downsides of, of where things are headed is that um, probably less people will have access to advice as there are less advisors in the profession as well. Yeah, okay, every policy always has uh, winners and losers and it's a really difficult, uh, difficult, yeah, tightrope to, to walk. And I think, you know, in that way, perhaps options are shrinking, but in a broader sustainable investing perspective, there are lots of options now. We've got, um, you know, there are indexes now that, that do have an ESG filter. Um, we've got super funds that are dedicated uh, fossil fuel free. But we talk to a lot of impact investors on this podcast. And this may be a difficult question because even they have not been able to, to come up with any really um, useful kind of retail options to invest in pure impact private equity kind of opportunities where the impact is measured rigorously and that you know they're, they're fighting a, a really core challenge. Maybe I should mention Hester in there, they're doing some good stuff, um, you know, very niche. Do you have any sort of, uh, any, I don't know, options or any ways that the retail investor can access these kind of private market options? Yeah, it's a, it's a huge frustration. I think the only real options are, as a, at an impact level at the moment are, are listed ones for, for a retail investor and without getting into the, the, the nitty gritty of whether uh, listed equities are impact or, or not. I know uh, one Australian uh, share manager in, uh, here in Sydney that's more in the smaller mid-cap end of the market, they see that there is impact in that because they're, they're participating in IPOs and, uh, and capital raisings and, and helping with liquidity that, that assists those uh, underlying companies. But that's in the listed space. I think I've talked to uh, some impact fund managers and you know, they're obviously trying to you know, come up with ideas or funds that could you know, work in that space. I know some people have tried to come up with something, but it hasn't quite got there yet. I'd love to see a, a, fund, of, a fund of funds um, that tapped into that, that. I know you had Andrew Cooper from Leapfrog on recently. Uh, I'd love to see a fund where you could access, uh, a retail investor could put some money into it and it invested in you know, Leapfrog Investments or you know, Impact Investment Group or other managers' renewal funds in uh, North America, those kind of things. Because I think it is, uh, as the market grows, it's a glaring gap that uh, exists to help the retail investor have you had any people off the street come in and, and explicitly ask for that? I mean, it might be a little bit very specific. Um, do people ever sort of, do they have that level of sophistication? I've had a couple of questions around it, not so much in client conversations, the sustainable and responsible invest, investments. I mean, that's, if I'm talking from, you know, with my advisor hat on, there's a more rigorous process generally around what you can recommend for your clients. Uh, through research and um, approved lists, the licensee you operate under and those kind of things. So listed equity investments tend to dominate that space. But in conversations with people outside of that, you know, high net worth investors, um, even who may do some wholesale investing, you know, they're also interested in this type of thing because it's very difficult to go into some of those things that you know often have a, a minimum of of 100,000 or up to 500,000 as a wholesale investor, you know, some of them would still uh, do it if there was a fund-to-fund -fund type option that you could do with, hopefully if it was at a retail level, as little as you know, 10 or 25,000 to open up that, that access. And I know we talked about, I'm really, really keen to um, 
to try and uh, get a feel for what people come to you and the knowledge that they have, if it might be quite basic about sustainable investing and maybe they don't, but you know, what are perhaps the, perhaps the questions they ask you, but even if, if it's not explicit, I guess the kind of indicators that there is some interest and in, in that it's bubbling up. Historically, I think advisors in general haven't been great at talking to clients about responsible investing. There hasn't been a lot of knowledge around it. You know, if we go back to when I was at university, when I did my postgraduate, there was very little in terms of education around that. So advisors haven't come from a space where you've got good questioning skills as well to talk to people about it and uncover what those preferences might be. So when I do that now, and I should add that it's going to change as of 1 January. So one of the changes in the, in the industry is the new FASIA standards and education requirements that are coming in. So there's a code of ethics as part of that. One is understanding the, the preferences that your clients have. Standard uh, six that I've just been doing some reading on specifically talks about the ethical and responsible preferences of your clients and whether you need to limit your investment recommendations based on those those preferences. So while there hasn't been a lot, we are moving into a, a, a space, uh, a time next year where advisors will be required to have those conversations. If I think about what I do with, with clients, it's really raising the, the questions from a, a couple of angles. One is, are there any specific issues that are important to them that they don't want to invest in? Something like the tobacco-free uh, portfolios. Uh, Dr. Bronwyn King, who you know, has now, I think, had um, super funded investment managers somewhere around the three to four trillion dollar mark. You know, sign up to that. Those kind of issues are things that I find are easy to talk to clients about because they're meaningful to them. And issues uh, such as you know, cancer. Personally, I was, uh, you know, I've done Dry July over the years and. November, both of which raise you know, funds for cancer. But then I was investing in index funds and you know, investing in tobacco companies and sort of when I realised I was doing that, scratched my head and thought, well, hang on, there seems to be a bit of a conflict here between those two things. So you know, these are some of the talking points that I'll raise with clients to say, these are just some personal things that I've thought of. Are there any particular issues like gambling or alcohol, anything fossil fuels that for you might be something that you'd rather not have your your money invested in because at the end of the day a client might outsource their decisions to a super fund or to a an advisor but it's their money that's invested in those companies so I want to make sure that you know that might not be something that I've explicitly explained very well in the past so I, I try to have that conversation better with them sometimes it'll come up with you know, something that the client talks about in a meeting. So a few months ago, uh, we were just talking about any upcoming capital requirements or changes and the client said they were they're buying a hybrid Camry in a few months' time. And that made me you know, think, well, you know, have you ever come across the idea of sustainability when it comes to investing your money? Why are you buying a, a hybrid Camry? So you know, that uncovered that you know, to him having a, a, a vehicle that was going to have less impact on the environment was important to him. So then we talked about where his money was invested and said, well, the way that it's invested at the moment is actually quite different to what you're thinking is important there. Maybe we need to start thinking about making some changes. Let's talk about some funds that might invest in cleaner transport 
electric vehicles, those kind of things. So they can come from different directions and it's always interesting to see what it is that might bring that out in that discussion. Yeah, oh, that's so interesting. And I think, you know, I uh, sit here and it's all very academic, so it's really good to absorb what people are coming to you with issues and, and how they feel about it from that perspective. And um, as you said earlier on, that uh, having that empathy and I guess appreciating you don't want to alienate people on the other side and being very clear about, um, yeah, just bring them along on the journey and, and how to share that information, which it sounds like this is what's happening with the regulations and that sort of thing and, and plenty of reading for you to do there. Talking about reading, love to get a book recommendation You've been a, a long-time listener of the podcast. You've been a, a really valuable advocate, a good friend of the of the Good Future podcast, and you've probably followed along with some of the book recommendations. But yeah, I'd love to get some of your own. I'm not going to go too far out of your guests, actually, because uh, I think the calibre of guests that you've had over the time you've been doing the Good Future podcast have been nothing short of spectacular. So uh, the first one that was a real light bulb moment for me personally was uh, Joel Solomon's The Clean Money Revolution. The story of his journey to impact, you know, I'm fascinated by the way that that uh, the people get here, it's, you know, it's only been under the name of impact around for 10, 10 years, 10 odd years, so people come from different directions, but Joel's, you know, I found it was a, a really interesting way that, you know, family money came from somewhere else and, you know, he's a pioneer in in the space and after I read that book I decided that I'd you know personally move mine and my wife's investments and uh, and superannuation um, you know fully down the sustainable impact path it just sort of resonated that deeply with me and the way as well that Joel you know connected with his community to help spread the the message of impact investment you know the peers that he had along the way were uh, were learning and, and sharing as they went and build a community around that to, you know, to help, uh, as he still does now, share that that message with with newcomers uh, like myself. That's it. Yeah, his community was quite astounding. I mean, that's really where he, he found his opportunities. You know, it was the people he met serendipitously. It was the groups he was working with. It was, uh, yeah, you know, the people who was right next to him. He saw, hang on, that's a great opportunity and, and dived in and, and he's kept going with it and he's built a pretty incredible ecosystem. Yeah, that's um, right. I mean, have you seen... I guess that kind of ecosystem developing in Australia you've sort of I guess been part of it for a while now how do you see the evolution? We're a little while behind uh, what's happening over there yeah particularly North America there last year I went across to San Francisco for the uh, SOCAP conference which has been going for around 10 years uh, social capital markets which is a a huge uh, conference for impact investors Uh, seeing the startups over there, the venture capital firms, the other financial institutions that were involved in that. It's a huge conference. There was thousands of people there. So, yeah, that's a long way ahead of what we've got here. But I think that also, that provides opportunities here too for people to make their mark and, and become leaders in Australia. Because I've got I've got no doubt whatsoever that, call it, you know, responsible investing, sustainability impact, or put it all in the the one basket that, you know, this is going to be the biggest investment trend that we're going to see, you know, in the next 10, 15, 20 years. So while it might be still early days here, comparatively, um, that's going to provide opportunities for people who are prepared to, you know, become leaders in, in the space here in Australia. 
That's it. Yeah, we're all about the opportunities that it's offering here. And, and I think there's no greater opportunity than when you simply do it because it matches your values. And if it then grows and, and returns push forward, then that, that's a beautiful thing. So that's what we're all about. And uh, look, that might be a good place to leave it. But uh, thanks for coming into Sydney. We're at Hub Australia today in the studio. Great to have Dave Bray with us. Thanks, mate. Thanks, John. It's been fantastic. All right, cheers.